Welcome to PCA One-on-One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. Welcome to PCA's One-on-One podcast series. This is Rich Pruszynski, PCA's National Partner Development Manager. Joining me today is professional lacrosse player Paul Rabel. Paul currently plays lacrosse for the New York Lizards of Major League Lacrosse. Previously, he played for the Boston Cannons of the MLL and the Philadelphia Wings of the National Lacrosse League. Paul has been a member of Team USA since 2009. In 2010, Paul helped Team USA capture the Federation of International Lacrosse, the FIL, World Championship Gold Medal. Paul was named to the wor- named the world's most valuable player and best midfielder. In 2014, Team USA earned silver, and Paul was once again named to the all-tournament team and the, wor- and the world's best midfielder. Prior to his professional and international play, Paul had a storied career at famed Johns Hopkins University, where he was a two-time national champion, NCAA Midfielder of the Year, and Johns Hopkins all-time leading goal scorer as a midfielder. Paul, welcome to the call, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, and thank you for the generous introduction. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, so, you know, we've got some questions for you today, and I think we're going to kind of start um, chronologically. And I have um, uh, some questions for you as, as it relates to your youth sports experience. And I understand that you started playing lacrosse as a youth athlete, uh, but at that time you also had some other interests and played other sports. At what point in your life did you decide to emphasize lacrosse as your primary sport? That's a great question. So, you know, I think it's a question that a lot of families and, and younger kids are facing at an earlier and earlier age with the proliferation, I think, of club-specific sports year-round. And uh, when I was growing up playing um, in the 90s and early 2000s, um, lacrosse, basketball, and soccer, my three primary sports, were all, you know, participatory at the rec league level. Um, and, you know, my focus at the time when I was in middle school was basketball and soccer second, and I started to play AAU, and I started to play club soccer, and at the time, both of my coaches had asked me to commit um, annually to one or the other, and I decided I wanted to continue to play both, so I passed further AAU participation and further club soccer and ultimately kind of backed into having to find a spring sport, which at the time what presented to me was lacrosse. So I picked it up. It was really challenging. Um, but I think by virtue of that challenge and, and, you know, several layers in which lacrosse is a combination for me of, of all the great sports that I play with contact, endurance, and skill orientation, I, uh, I quickly fell in love with the game. And when I turned – when I turned, uh, I think, 16 or 17 years old, entering my junior year in high school, I decided that I really wanted to go long in lacrosse and by that, you know, take a run at playing at a high level in college and potentially professional because I cared. I knew I cared about it that much. and I knew the, the work I was putting into in the practice field could justify it. So that's when I dedicated my, you know, full time, I guess, out away from my schoolwork to, to playing lacrosse. Well, that's great information, and it's interesting to hear and kind of see the path that you took. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier about the uh, some of the challenges that kids are faced with in terms of decisions that they're asked to make at such young ages when it comes to uh, a level of dedication. When I think in a lot of uh, a lot of cases, kids just really love to play uh, sports and different sports. Um, so, when you were in high school at Dematha, were you still competing in other sports other than lacrosse? 
Yes, I played basketball and uh, I ran track my freshman year. Um, and uh, and then, you know, like as I said earlier, I transitioned to just lacrosse as I started getting recruited um, in, in high school, heading into my junior year. Um, you know, and that's also to mention that the recruiting landscape has changed too. You know, then I think the coaches very much waited until the appropriate, you know, NCAA legal calls were allowed to be made, which was June 1 or July 1 of your senior year for lacrosse. Um, and, you know, I think as, it, as the environment's gotten more competitive, they figured out ways to, uh, you know, and, and now that it, you're seeing that through, through club lacrosse specifically with club coaches contacting, um, you know, college coaches and, and, you know, pitching their players for early recruitment and stuff like that. So it, it's definitely changed, I, I, you know, and that's kind of, you know, what I'm very cognizant of when I'm talking about my experience versus others. Um, but ultimately for me it came down to my passion of, you know, while I was in basketball season or while I was in soccer or running track, after my team practices, I would still go and pick up a lacrosse stick. So, you know, I wasn't playing the sports for enjoyment anymore. I was enjoying basketball, rather I should say, I was enjoying basketball and soccer, but I couldn't wait to play lacrosse. So for me and my parents, it was like, you know, why are we, uh, why are we stopping you from doing that? So that's when I, I really committed full time. Well, that, that makes a lot of sense, and it's interesting to hear, again, um, just the level of commitment and interest that you had in the sport and in the game, and it, and it seems like a timely shift uh, for you. Um, when you were playing some of the other sports as a youth and, and early on in your high school career, do you feel like you gained some, some you know, additional skills and perspective um, having played other sports at the same time and, and being coached by other coaches? Of course, of course. Yeah, I think it, you, you – you can extract a ton of value from playing other other games, and I still do, quite honestly, when I play pickup basketball or soccer. Uh, but you can also extract a ton of knowledge from watching these games, and and that's you know again more personal experience as to what I do now. I, I watch a lot of football, I watch a lot of basketball, I watch a lot of soccer, and try and focus on one athlete that you kind of identify with and follow him or her throughout the field or the court and try and make decisions along with them or against. And, um, you know, again, there's, there's, there's so many similarities, but also so many different innovators in sport that, that we can really learn from. Indeed. Um, so I'm kind of interested to hear a little bit more about that, that shift and that full-time commitment to lacrosse. And, and I look back to uh, my own sports experience and the sports experience of the kids that, uh, that I coach, that we coach, and, and sometimes there's an aha moment there's that point in your in your career, whether you're a youth or a high school athlete or a college athlete, uh, for that matter. Uh, but was there a significant moment or a specific um, accomplishment that really sparked your drive to to do that work to play at the highest of competitive levels? Yeah, you know, it's probably you know getting your first bit of recognition, whether that's through you know an all conference team. Um, you know, making a, getting a team award or being recognized for scoring the most points, um, you know, th those all contribute. Uh, but again, for me internally was just every single day, you know, wanting to get out and practice, practice before and after practice. You know, I would think about lacrosse nonstop and, and all of that really swayed me in the direction of, of this is something that I want to really go long and hard at. 
Well, that definitely speaks to, uh, I guess, the true nature of, of, of your demeanor in terms of you being a competitor. And I think that's somebody that uh, something that, that all of us recognize in you, and, and that's what uh, a lot of us enjoy uh, when we watch uh, you compete and, and, you know, your peers compete at the level that you do. Um, that's really what you are as a competitor, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. Um, I'm curious, too, um, you know, can you tell us a story or, or even tell us uh, a little bit more about a youth or a high school sports coach that had a significant impact on you as you were growing up in sports? You know, every coach has an impact on me to, to, you know, to a certain extent, whether it's you know, purely through X's and O's, motivation, you know, whether it is discipline, um, you know, com- competition-oriented, stuff like that. Um, you know, in terms of uh, giving you a, a, you know, a specific story, you know, I've been fortunate. I, I grew up with a great coach, Coach Long at DeMatha High School, you know, Hall of Fame lacrosse coach. And, uh, you know, it's, it's no secret that his coaching tendencies were some of the same ones that I saw from Coach Petromala and, and, you know, I saw in Coach Pressler and Coach Mead at the U.S. national team level um, in that, you know, they they really, you know, can customize the player that they're working with. So, so often coaches look at a team and will address the team in terms of team discipline, team motivation, um, and, and some of that is, is derived from their experience as a coach or a book that they have read where in reality, you know, your team is comprised of, you know, a number of individual players that think differently, respond differently, play differently. And that can be time-consuming to really customize, you know, the learning experience for each player. So a coach that is able to effectively do that are, are the ones that can, you know, generate the best results. And and uh, I remember, you know, getting and still do that specific attention because, you know, I'm highly competitive um, highly results-driven. Um, I tend to get down on myself when things don't go well. So there are uh, – and, 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 and kind of contrary to that, I've, I'm someone who responds really well to a coach that has high energy and, you know, mandates certain levels of discipline. Some guys don't. Um, so, you know, understanding that as a coach is integral um, to your team's success, and that's always going to change every season. So you need to be willing to adapt. Absolutely. I think it's a great message for the coaches that will be listening to us uh, in terms of that added layer of commitment that it takes um, to really develop players and develop a team. And, uh, you know, it's not just, it's not a one size fits all scenario. And it sounds like the coaches that you've had that you mentioned earlier, uh, Coach Petromala, uh, Mike Pressler, Richie Mead, they had that ability. To, to really motivate athletes on uh, on a cellular level uh, and get everyone uh, pointed in the same direction to achieve a common goal, uh, would you agree? I absolutely would agree. So you know, we talk about these coaches and, and the impact that they have and, and the ability they have to, uh, to to assist athletes to to achieve at a high level. Um, what did some of those coaches do uh, for you? to help motivate you to really buy into their 
their system and their philosophy. So I know it kind of maybe goes a little bit against the grain in terms of what we're talking about, about the individual athlete, but, you know, each team has an identity. So how did some of those coaches uh, motivate you or your, or your peers, um, you know, to, to be on the same page and to, and to be, you know, playing for that common cause? Well, I think that kind of, that takes place a lot of times in individual meetings. Um, you know, as a player, you have the same responsibility as a leader, I should say. You have the same responsibility as, as the coach in terms of, you know, when you're in front of the team, the message needs to be the same. And that's often dictated by the coach, and you need to echo that to the players. Um, you know, and then as you get into the specifics of, of your role as an X and O player, on the field, a lot of times players, you know, you know it could be as simple as, you know, understanding the same – you know, having the same thought as your coach, as, you know, for me as a midfielder and my dodging schemes and my shooting capabilities, or there are times where the coach sees you in a different role than you perhaps see yourself. Um, and those conversations need to be had in an open format behind closed doors. And especially as a captain or a leader on the team, you know, you don't want to, uh, you know, contest the coach's policy in front of your peers. Um so, you know, again, those, the coaches that I've had had to understand that, and we've had plenty of conversations um, when things have gone well, when things haven't gone well, um, and, and try and, you know, really treat it as, you know, a, as a sport, as a business, and be respectful of each other, um, you know, be very thought-provoking, um, you know, on, on the field as you perform, perform much like an artist, and afterwards you can kind of sit down and analyze the data. Um, those are all things that are really helpful for me. That's great to hear. And it, it sounds, um, you know, it, it's just interesting to hear a little bit about, you know, your perspective on that, and I think it's so valuable uh, for all of us to, to, to recognize that and to think more about that in terms of the way that we interact with, with athletes. Um, you know, when it comes to the, the team centric and the team first kind of mentality, team culture, things of that nature. I mean, I think we can agree that, you know, having talented athletes alone will get a team only so far. Uh, team chemistry and culture carry a lot of weight. They help even high-achieving teams to achieve at even greater levels. Uh, here at PCA, we define culture as the way we do things here. Uh, so can you tell us or share with us some key components, um, perhaps, of your team culture at Johns Hopkins. So, for example, any specific or unique routines or rituals that, that you, your peers, the team implemented to help bring the team together and really establish uh, the culture for your organization? Sure. Sure. Yeah, so culture is a, it's a unique thing, right? And so are team mantras and team slogans. And a lot of times I've seen you know, organizations understand the value of that, but also force-feed that material on the team. So the first thing for me is, is that the process has to be organic. organic. It has to be authentic um, in that the players need to discover their team culture. Um, if you're a great coach that, you know, inherits a great organization or you've built that organization, culture doesn't come – you know, uh, over six or 12 months, it's established over your tenure. And if you've had the luxury of, of you know, having a team for three, four, five, six, ten years, um, your recruits start coming into that culture and it's easier. Um, if you're taking on a team and you're developing someone from scratch, um, that process 
is much more difficult. And when I mentioned it has to be organic, ideally we'd like to accomplish all that in our preseason or training camp and be ready to go in game one. But sometimes it takes a level of adversity to for your team to really kind of come together and respond. Um, I've At Hopkins specifically, I was on a 16-0 championship team, one of very few that have done that in NCAA history. And I was also on a championship team that started the season 4-4 four and four and was on the verge of not making the playoffs. And we went on an eight-game run and won, the, and won the national championship. So different in their inherent culture, um, but inevitably we, we bonded. So the process has got to be very organic. There's no blueprint. If there was, everyone would do it and everyone would win. Uh, but be very receptive and weary of, of, you know, kind of fake or counterculture. I think it's interesting uh, to hear your perspective, and, and I, I think I would tend to agree. And one of the things that I – this really kind of speaks in a, it's a very similar pattern here is that, um, you know, we, we coaches have to know their athletes. They have to know what the, what the guys want to get out of the experience, and they have to use their personnel to craft the plan as opposed to sometimes, I think, plugging guys into the existing plan. It may not always work. Um, I, I think at different – different levels, there's different um, amounts of that. Um, but, you know, have you ever had an experience with that where you kind of got pushed into a spot that it just didn't fit your skill set or maybe maybe not even you but a teammate where uh, they just weren't able to, to fill that, that, that hole or that, uh, that role that a coach wanted? Yeah, of course. I think that happens all the time. Um, and, and that's where – you know, like we had kind of mentioned before, having a culture of where players feel comfortable talking with the coaches or consulting with the captains on the team, um, you know, and really kind of not being not being fearful of, of stigmas that are often, you know, across, way across all sports and that, you know, you have to, you know, you, you have to be the best player or you have to be, you have to illustrate a certain amount of toughness and, if you can't figure this out, we'll kind of put your head down and figure it out where, you know, those kind of teams where there aren't, you know, levels of honesty and open communication uh, will continue to dig themselves deeper in a hole. Now, at the same time, the crazy thing about sports and why we often can't put our fingers on it is that you do see championship teams come from, you know, subpar cultures um, or from, you know, levels of adversity that, you know, we may not agree with, and we being you or I, Rich, but they work for, they worked for that team. Um, and, you know, in the end, you can have a team with great chemistry, great culture, and great players that still loses because, you know, you enter a 60-minute game and the ball just may not roll your way. Um, so, you know, that's the kind of nature of sports, I think, why it's uh, why there's such a huge appetite for sports across all industries and, and why uh, we all play the, the beautiful game. Indeed. So, you know, we talked a little bit about, um, you know, the team and, and some, uh, you know, some individual components. I'm, I'm also a little bit curious to, um, to hear about some of your experiences with, with your athletic peers. Um, you know, so what are some of the qualities that, that you look for in a, a peer leader on your team, um, and can you give an example of a time in you, you know in your career, whether it's you know youth, high school, college, etc., where you've rallied behind somebody uh, that that uh, that had basically earned your respect as a leader? 
Yeah, you know, I, I think just speaking to leaders and kind of the intangibles, and especially if you look at student-athletes, you know, it's no secret that student-athletes at the collegiate level, even high school level, are juggling two full-time jobs, two full-time commitments uh, between, you know, your studies, your classwork, your tests. That takes, that takes a significant amount of time. And then you're expected to go to practice. You're expected to practice in between, during, and after practice. You're expected to study film. You're expected to, you know, scout your opponent. That's a second full-time job. Now when you take a captain, right, you're, you, you want a captain who can play the role as a coach, basically, on the ground for the players 24-7. So the captain has to take on responsibility of, you know, understanding his teammates from top to bottom on the roster, um, being able to answer or help or provide guidance when someone's struggling, um, and to be able to kind of counterbalance when someone is overly confident. Um, you know, that type of leader has to allot additional time for that, meaning you know, that leader is also in that position because they are more times than not very successful on the field. Um, so, you know, you have your own preparation and rituals that you have to get to. When you're a leader, that doesn't mean you abandon that for the players because those are your concern. What it means is you have to manage your time better now, and you may have to get to the practice facility earlier so you can take care of what you need to to prepare or your best on the field, and then now you have time to work with the other guys in the locker room or girls in the locker room. So, you know, you're looking at some of the best leaders juggling three full-time jobs. I, the coaches need to be cognizant of that, and they need to be supportive of their leaders just as much as the leaders are supportive of the coaches. Yeah, it's wonderful advice, and I think that's that's a great message for all of our young athletes. Um, I've got one final question for you. Paul, and it has to do with the growth of the game. Uh, as we know, lacrosse is growing at an extremely rapid rate. Right now it's one of the fastest-growing sports in America. In your opinion, where is the sport headed, and do you see any challenges or pitfalls that may slow the growth uh, that we see today and that is you know, coming in the near future? Well, yeah, it's a, it's a very layered question. Um, there's there's no secret that lacrosse has been, over the last decade, one of the fastest-growing sports in America, um, and that exists at the youth level, um, where year over year there's uh, increased uh, participation rates. Um, you know, the game now is different, and the exposure that we've gotten is very different than we did in 2005, and 2005 was different than 1995. Uh, but the challenge, and I, don't, I wouldn't call it slowing down in growth because the numbers continue to grow, but as the sport overall grows, you take a snapshot of the sport at a professional level, at a collegiate level, right, and at the youth level, and uh, the youth level grows. College sports have their own um, you know, kind of uh, growing pains in the men's and women's game in terms of financing um, to structuring the programs uh, with Title IX, um, you know, and on the men's side having a, you know, with a big school having a, you know, a big funded program like football, um, you know, and, 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 you know, trying to counterbalance that with, you know, the, the, the finances given to the women's game, um, and at the professional level, 
right? That's where really the the investors are appropriated and the business is taking place. Lacrosse is a team sport, so we're competitively going against other team sports for television rights, and that's just the fact of the matter, and, and it's not an easy battle by any means when the other team sports are the NFL, the NBA, MLB, MLS, NHL, right? And so, you know, as you grow, you know, you may notice that you grow, you know, you can you feel like you can plateau, um, you know, at the top because we have grown to a point, which is a good thing, to where we are now competing at the top level and have to compete with, you know, the big three, and that's very challenging. Um, so we need to look at potentially as a game how we're positioning ourselves um, and understanding the, the overall market appetite when you're in the same room with the big dogs, right? So how does the sport position itself from a culture, from a team game, um, from a rule standpoint where we can find ourselves a nice niche um, in the shared kind of team sports market. So, you know, that's kind of a snapshot of where we're at on all different levels. Um, the good thing is, is that, you know, when kids pick up a stick for the first time, you know, the retention rate as well is much higher in lacrosse than it is in other sports. Um, so, you know, that, that, that means that this game for me, you know, what it, what it did for me is it's still doing it for these younger generations you know, 15 and 16 years later, and that's a, that's a really positive sign. Absolutely. Well, thanks for the, you know, the, the view there, uh, the high-level view, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's a lot of great work that's been done and a lot of great things yet to come. Um, so, Paul, it was a pleasure to speak with you today. Uh, it, was a, it was an honor to, to, join, to have you join the podcast, and uh, we wish you the best uh, this uh, spring season with the Lizards, and we hope to uh, have you join us again at some point. Great. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us on this episode of PCA One-on-One. Be sure to visit PositiveCoach.org to download more podcasts.